Tom Pasello, and welcome to the Growth Through Grief podcast, where we interview individuals just like you who are dealing with their own journey from loss to growth, along with mental health experts, growth guides, all with the purpose of helping you heal better, improve mind, body, and spirit, and find your new purpose from the loss and the tragedy that you've experienced. Tom Pasello, I'm your host. I'm a growth evangelist, as well as being a fellow widower. I lost my beautiful bride of 19 years, Judy, uh, some five years ago. Today, I've got a very special guest. She is Suzanne Anderson, MA. She's the founder of The Mysterial Woman. She's a psychologist, a coach, a leadership consultant, transformational teacher, and she's author of a new book, You Make Your Path by Walking, a transformational field guide through trauma and loss. Uh, the book, it documents Suzanne's personal grief journey from when her beloved husband, David, took his life through that loss and trauma and into a whole new way of living, loving, and leading. And we're here to discuss the book and this journey with Suzanne today. Welcome, Suzanne Anderson. All right, thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. I love to start at the beginning, at the <clears throat> origin. How did you and David meet? Yeah, that's a beautiful place to start because it's not always where everyone starts, right? Like we'll yeah. talk about the tragedy. I know. No, I love the love story. I mean, yeah. let's get that. Story. Let's get that in the in the yeah. room, kind of. Yeah. Um, I met David right at the I'd been coming out of my first marriage, was established that we were going to be divorced, my mm -hmm. first husband and I. And um, it was actually a beautiful kind of synchronous thing because um i i lived on an island near seattle and you have to at the end of the day when you're going to get the ferry it's just kind of rush across the west seattle bridge and you know hoping you'll make it before the last ferry for the like two hour break and so if you see another car speeding along the road in ahead of you you kind of get in their slipstream because you know that if somebody gets stopped, it won't be you, yeah. right? And uh, that was what happened one, one evening. I had just been out with uh, girlfriends and my my first husband had decided to um, to do a mediation. So I was sort of practicing the word divorced, you know, saying it in my, saying mm -hmm. it out loud with them and um, kind of, okay, I'm just, I'm gonna be a divorcee. And so that was in me. Anyway, so I'm rushing along to the ferry. Uh, we do get on. I am the last car on the boat, the boat takes off. And I think, well, whoever gets out of that car, I, if they get out of that car, um, I'm gonna thank them. And David got out of the car and walked by mine. I rolled down my window and, and um, said, uh, hey, that was some great driving. And I had seen him before at an event near my house. The, he had an incredible property with these amazing, temples that he had brought from Indonesia and antique buildings and um, became my home as well um, later. But, uh, and I had seen him at a performance and I had asked somebody who were, because I'd gone up to this music event and asked someone who he was and, um, oh, that's the guy whose place this is. And I was still married at the time and it wasn't mm -hmm. like, I wasn't thinking of him like that, but they said, well, I think he's gay. So, because they didn't know he lived by himself he had this mm -hmm. you know home whatever uh, yeah. so i saw him and i realized oh that's that gay guy from that i saw and so when david said hey come on up and let's chat because this is about a 15 minute ferry ride so we went up top and i'm thinking then it's safe i'm talking to this guy that isn't you know a problem for me mm -hmm. and i'm saying the word divorce all the time because i just learned to say it 
And his story later was, you know, she was, I thought she was coming on to me because she said the word divorce about 10 times. <laughs> like I'm divorced. I'm about well, to you're divorce. Thinking, hey, safe environment, no pressure here. Exactly. Yeah. So that started our friendship. And um, for a long time, we were simply friends and we lived nearby about five minutes away. And and then then uh, things shifted. Yeah. Yeah. And then you started to build a life together in the Pacific Northwest on that special property. David was a furniture importer. Yes, he ran a, an antique Indonesian furniture building kind of business in mm -hmm. Seattle was well known in Seattle with his this kind of iconic store, 14,000 square feet and just gorgeous. And then in Indonesia, in Java, had a workshop where he made the furniture. And, and then our property was truly like going uh, into another world. It was like walking into Bali. Um, uh, and, and people were very touched and impacted by, by being there. And David had the property, but it was sort of waiting for some me, I think, actually, um, to bring it alive because he was very much right. a private person. And mm -hmm. then we really created an amazing life together there. And um, the property, we hosted many events and it really became this just um, beautiful life for us and for the island, actually. Yeah. To and you, you hosted events as you started to build practice and then started to write your book, right? Well, the first book was um, not the, the, uh, the way of the mysterious woman. This we had very different lives. So he was running his Indonesian business. We met at 50. So that's just to put that in perspective. We yeah. both had our lives. I was very much in the work of women in leadership and I was teaching programs through Antioch University and actually different universities where I put my programs because I wanted to explore the awakening of consciousness and leadership capacity in a kind of mainstream format. Mm -hmm. And so we I was running those programs, running my business, and they were quite separate. And it, after 10 years of doing that work, uh, the, the research, um, we had started to really see something, myself and the co-author who, who wrote the book with me. And that's about concurrent with all those years I was because David and I were together for 10 years mm -hmm. and without question they were they remain really the, the happiest years of my life I mean they were profound sense of coming home with him and I was in the total joy of my work and and then we we wrote the manuscript of the book that was the end of 2012 we're getting ready to come out with it um, and look for a publisher. And then on January 3rd, 2013, David, David left this world. So mm -hmm. I went in a very different direction than I certainly anticipated. Yeah, and there's a quote in the book that I wanna mention that I loved. Um, you say, quote unquote, an in-between place that trauma escorts you to, the gap between my life the day before the me who was living her dream life, preparing to launch her first book, a new program into the world, and the me now whose beloved husband had just committed suicide. Um, gosh, tell me about those first few days and weeks. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, for everyone who's probably listening to your podcast, um, who is a widow, however that, that, 
rupture occurs is so traumatic, right? There's a way in which, for me, like I've sometimes used the analogy like this cleaving away, like an iceberg when you see in the, the mm -hmm. shots that it just falls away and then there you are at the edge of this new life and, and it's, just a, it's just a huge void. And I think we all know that that feeling of like what was and what will be, we can't even imagine what will be because so much for me, so much of my path forward was so woven together with, with David, which with our beloveds, they are. So it's not just like you lose your beloved, you lose your path, you lose your future, you, lo you lose the, 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 the ways, as you know, you know, of what you saw. And then for me, then, then just to add the, the suicide container here, which um, again, for some of your, your listeners, they're probably, they had that element as well. And that adds this, you know, there's the shock of it, yes, but then there's also the uh, horror of that whole, of that somebody would choose to do this your beloved would choose to leave you <clears throat> that that takes so much reckoning and i'll say for me and I, I i give the example in the book tom and i think it's probably worth doing that little moment with michael mead you may remember <clears throat> i don't know if you know michael's work um, okay. no and he's a he's a mythologist and written some beautiful books and there's a good friend who lives on the island and had just worked with somebody in um, with there'd been a, a suicide at the high school, the local high school. And this is a small community, an island, you know, Vashon Island, rather small. And um, so, and I had just seen him like three days before and talking about what it was for him to go to the school and help people be in that moment. And so I called him or had someone else call him right away after this happened and, and he came over the next day. And I remember he, he and we sat together and I was describing to him everything that happened and he and he said and this is a myth that I tell in the story it's the myth of Persephone and Demeter do you know that myth mm -hmm. right with, with where Persephone's grabbed into Hades by by Hades yeah um and her journey that unfolds in the myth you know that like that but I use that myth in my work with women because that turn down and in is so critical to the work I think people need to do in general that certainly women need to do and um he said to me well you know this is the biggest Hades grab you'll probably ever have in your life and you are going to go somewhere you've never been before and remember that you are Queen Persephone because ultimately, you know, in the myth, she she learns to live in the upper world and the underworld. And then he says, go, you must go now. And uh, we'll hold space for you here in the upper world. But and I remember this moment like it was a minute ago, like this almost like being able to see the path down. And if I could see the path down, maybe there could be a path up. Yeah. I just remember inside of myself some huge letting go that happened early on for me. It sometimes takes probably a lot longer where I knew, well, I thought I was going up and out with my book that that I was going to go way down and that I needed to accept that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people. So first of all, in the loss, you know, you talk about your identity is 
crushed and compromised because you were a couple, you were a partner, you were, that's gone. The future, completely uncertain. What you mapped out as a happily ever after walking on a beach hand in hand, no longer. And then I think with suicide, there's that extra element of a, you question the past a little bit. And, the you know, what could I have done differently? And there are many of us who've maybe had been caretakers who kind of feel that same way. Um, talk a little bit about this embracing of the darkness, because mm-hmm. I think that's something that scares some yeah. that, you know, they feel like, okay, the loss occurred. <laughs> and then they, they start to immediately feel all this pressure to be still in the world of the living in this world, right? And, and to persevere through it to just be determined, to be resilient through it. And I think that you're encouraging maybe slightly a different path with the, with the darkness and the embracing of that in that path downward. Yeah, Talk that's about a beautiful that a question bit. because I think in our hyper-masculine world, you know, for, this is for men and women, mm. you know, there's this overemphasis, as you say, on doing and getting through and, you know, what just what doesn't hurt you makes you stronger and just keep going and do all of that. Um, And there's a beauty in that too, right? There's a beauty in being able to show up for yourself and do what needs to be done. But there's also this, what I'd say in the yin yang symbol, the dark is the, is the yin is the Mm -hmm. feminine. There is also an enormous loss and there's something in the darkness for you, for Mm -hmm. me, there was something in the darkness. Now, I also had a lot I had to do. And depending on what sort of situation you're in when you lose your partner, that's probably the same for others too, you know, where they're just things you have to do. In this case, because it was so out of the blue and such a shock and there were so many things that did require me to do things. But I also gave myself time to, to just be in the the with my own quaking inner self mm-hmm. and and to do that with loved ones with other with a love field now that is something I, I do write about I think that's that's everything um especially in a suicide because there's a lot of shame guilt you know there's something in that I call it the suicide swamp mm-hmm. and and you know I had to be very vigilant about that and um th- that this was not my choice mm-hmm. and my view is just to say and was then that everyone has a choice about how they leave you know we do have free will he did have the right to leave as he chose to leave mm-hmm. that i don't quarrel with but i the impact of it obviously was enormous for me but it was not my choice mm-hmm. so i had to keep making that distinction and i think having my dear loving friends who came in very close around me very quickly um, and my many, my community, I have a lot of students that I'd worked with and my programs for years um, where I had to be the receptive, where, where I chose to be the receptive one. Uh, let me be with the dark. In other words, you know, I, I couldn't do it all the time because I did have to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of what I mean by the title of the book. Um, if I could just speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. For a minute, which is. It's something I just started saying from the very start, again and again and again. And when I was writing this book, I was actually initially just writing it for myself to sort of write myself back together in a way. I didn't know if I would offer it out in the world. 
but I kept writing this again and again because it had just been there and it comes from one of my favorite poems by Antonio Machado, who's a 20th century uh, Spanish poet actually. And the, the idea of you make your path by walking, something about it felt like that doesn't mean I'm always moving. It means that I can't see always where to go next. In other words, it's dark. I cannot see. And in the, you know, the old world, you have a path and you know where you're going and it's like this. No, you make your path when you have this kind of a devastating loss of a, of your, of a beloved and all that your life with them might have been. I think it is the ability to be in the dark and take that one step and let your, the, the stone kind of rise up under your foot and then take the next step. I'll be willing to do that. Yeah, a surrender to it, right? To say, look, there was a path. It was yeah. a light for me. Now it's not there anymore, but I still do need to keep moving forward. I think there's that part to the darkness where you have to just believe and trust and surrender that by moving forward, by making your path, you know, that by walking, you can make your path. And two, I think by embracing the darkness of your inner self and maybe getting back to do some of the, you mentioned the work. I know for me that a lot of, when I did experience the grief, there were a lot of old hurts totally. and old wounds and old things that just came right up to the surface. Yeah. And my reaction, uh, whether that be in anger or in relationships, um, it showed, it really shined, shined a spotlight bright on all of the work that I hadn't done. And a lot of times our spouse will fill in a lot of those gaps in our life, right? And so we don't have to do that work sometimes and we rely on them for that. And so that's what I also loved about your darkness analogy was that there was work that needed to be done. Right, and it's, that's beautiful. And it, it does, in my experience, that did not happen right away. It, it was, you know, you know, but 100%, um, that that's the opportunity and that's why I ended up writing this that when, when when you're shattered in the way that I certainly was that is an ego shattering obviously my identity I, I this would never happen to me mm -hmm. my husband I'm a transformational teacher I'm teaching about the awakening of consciousness and new ways of being in the world and growth and all of this and my husband David was himself an incredible man and had this a, a very charismatic and deep presence that touched many, many people. So this didn't happen. This couldn't happen to me, you know. So there was when when it did happen to me, and in a very short order, not only did I lose David, but you know, his house of cards and his business was coming down. And so financially it was an absolute tsunami. So I really lost everything in a very, very short period of time. That is to say, all my identity you know gone like the ways i saw me said now there's a shattering there that one could try to put back together again to be you know to just get back where you were but i because of the work i do i think i knew i, I there was somewhere else i had the potential of going in my own wholeness mm -hmm. um that was because these parts, these ways of being that I hadn't seen before were all of a sudden going to be visible. But it took me 
a year to get through the, and I think that's true for anyone. I journaled a lot, so I wrote stuff down, but I, I wasn't, and I had an, from the very beginning, I had an amazing uh, therapist and, you know, many different supports for myself and my own processes I went through. But the really deep integration work of where I, I did my own shadow work was it was a year on and mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to do that. I thought I'm not I don't ever want an opportunity like this again. <laughs> you know, I never want to be here again, but I am here now. And this before things start to get knit back together into some me of, you know, some me in the future, I want to see who that me is and if and who do I who am I becoming and who do I want to become? Yeah, your quote, uh, allowing the breaking down to be a breaking through to a whole new consciousness. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah. that's it the to what you're talking about, where that brokenness actually allowed you to achieve an awakening of these different areas in your life. Um, to well, Tom, can I just, I just want to say one thing, Absolutely, just to say, yeah. and I want to make that clear that it's, one thing that was so important for me from the beginning, I have a, you know, that a 40 year meditation practice. I'd been in a spiritual path for a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And I feel David's exit was somewhat of a spiritual bypass. He also had a very deep spiritual practice. He had many experiences of other levels of a being, let's just say. Mm -hmm. um, but I was not going to do this as a spiritual bypass. And I, that is to say, make it all all right, you know, just go up and out that I would do this in my body, in an embodied way, so that when I would come to the to forgiveness, or when I would come to finding the new me on the new path, it wasn't, it would have substance to it. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, a, an important thing for, for those of us that not, not that the spiritual path was in fact, very helpful in another way but it wasn't used as a way to avoid the enormous um, pain and suffering in my body. Mm -hmm. That you did have to experience and yes. did have to go through. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk about how you use the deep wound of loss to become a fertile ground for the new you. Um, you talk about it going from trauma to transformation. Yeah. Oh, let's see. Um, I think I'll just use one, one piece of it. One part of me that I hadn't really seen had was a sort of what I call shadow or what Carl Jung called shadow, which is the parts of ourselves we don't, conscious mind doesn't want to have a relationship with, had to do with being overextending to others, over giving, over to save the planet, to save other people, to, and I, you know, and that looked and very magnanimous and, you know, or at least I, I might've thought it did, you know, that I'll, I'll look how I'm doing all these things because I don't really, um, I don't need these things and everybody else does need these things, but but underneath, and, and this was, you know, a wound for me that was the fertile ground. I I began to see that I didn't. It's almost like I didn't fully acknowledge my own <laughs> my own needs. You know, like mm -hmm. I do have needs, and I started to see 
way back, like the roots of that back through my childhood from mm -hmm. a very young age where, um, you know, where if I, my needs weren't being met and I just, my response was, okay, fine. I don't, I don't need, I don't need anything. That was easier for me than the pain of having to feel my need not being met for example so i just said i don't have any needs and that worked for me for years right and then all of a sudden it was like actually you have got to factor yourself into the solution to this this, this trauma. yeah because the whole house of cards financially was coming down mm -hmm. and there were many steps i had to take and things i had to do where i had to advocate for a path that looked after others because there were many many people shattered around the situation as well as me but for the first time really i took myself i brought myself into the equation that was profound for me and i think that some widowers who had become caretakers where they did put their spouse, especially if it's a long illness, ahead of themselves for a long time. And so there is that that moment. And as you said, a lot of it has to do with how we deal with attachments and deal with past hurts. So doing that work with the therapist, understanding that I think is important. I also think that walking, you mentioned that earlier, is make your path by walking in the name of the book, the name of the poem. Walking was incredibly a healing element for me. Um, just the fact of walking forward helps you to overcome fear and overcome the trauma. You know, you can freeze, you can fight, uh, you can, um, you know, fawn, uh, you can have these different reactions. Walking will make you to where you don't flight, where you don't run, where you don't fawn. It's a way to address your fear. And so by walking forward, EMDR, uh, eye movement desensitization um, therapy, basically goes and simulates this in a therapist's office. But walking can have an incredible healing effect. And I know that you did some. You did some hiking and you did some things like that. And I don't know if you continue yeah, to do well, that. Daily, I, daily yeah. I did that. Daily, yeah. I did that. And, and, and this is really what, something that's so key and was so key for me. I already knew that it was important to have my, my, what I call a container morning practices that I would do. And I've been doing that for years. I've been doing that for years. I would say that's huge for anyone going, whatever juncture you're on in the journey of loss. Um, and I would start my day every day with some time just for me. And a part of that certainly was for me meditating or dropping in in some way. Um, to the sacred. Sometimes it was music. Sometimes it was prayer. Sometimes it was um, poetry. Often it was poetry, actually, which was very healing for me. But it would always be movement as well. I, I needed to, even though, you know, I had this, this thing I started doing from the very first day. I just did it, actually, intuitively, I think. I, I brought my, woke up. Of course, you come out of the, the sleep, as you know, and you're back in this world and, and it's like the, the, the world you don't wanna be in and the reality again. And there is nothing in me that wanted to, to be in that day and in that life. And, but just this one thing I required of myself, which was to sit up and I'd put my leg feet on the floor 
And I would say out loud, Suzanne, <clears throat> okay, I'm here. I am so grateful to have mm. the opportunity to be in this body and in this in physical embodiment. And may this day be a blessing to me and to anyone I touch. Now, many, many days I did not feel that. I did not. I did not. But I lived into it. It was almost like, like I, I was speaking the words out that I would then walk toward um, in the day. And, and that, was a, that was huge for me. That was huge. Kind of started the movement. Yeah. Um, that became, that is, you make your path by walking. It, it isn't, by the way, that you make a path by walking means you're always moving. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the movement is to be still. You know, but it means there is movement. The river is flowing. Mm -hmm. Now it must take a little rest, and now you must be very still and you know, still and just sob, or or rage, or whatever it is. Yeah, that moment of gratitude and um, planting your feet on the earth, I, I think, are really important. For me, it was less um, less the gratitude part. I but I did have that habit from the first day as well. I made the bed and I, ne I would never make the bed. I always left that up to my late wife. Um, but for me, it was making the bed so I didn't get back into it and didn't want to crawl up and fall back into bed. Yeah. And it's those little things yeah. that those little rich, especially that first thing in the morning. But I love that gratitude practice first thing and, and encourage others to, to do that. Or as you're making the bed, maybe give that gratitude. Because the truth is, I mean, and I will say, uh, uh, there were so many times for me of terror. That was the underlying, uh, I think, the horror of the situation, but then also the terror of my whole life was gone within yeah. six months. And financially, at that point in my life, to have nothing, when, yeah. when really everything, everything was gone. So so the terror, the, the, the fear, and I, at the back of the book, actually, I have a practice to work with fear. For me, that was so central. Mm -hmm. and, and it really was to be able to be with that, you know, that terror, in a way, let the emotion, let myself settle, let my body settle, be able to do that. And gratitude was such so key, like in the middle of the night, it was an ongoing practice for me for the first number of years where I'd wake up and still do sometimes um, with just this free ranging anxiety about, oh my God, I'm going to be a bag. I'm going to be in a cardboard box under the bridge. And I would just say, no, I am so grateful right now. I have this home. I have this this safe place that I'm living. I'm like, just right now, what are you thankful for? And that is a simple thing one can do. It's because the fear response comes from a deeper part of the brain that is, you know, in that the amygdala. So you yeah. just want to say, bring that prefrontal lobe in and just get go. No, you know, right now, look, right now, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. I'm actually good. And in this moment, that's where I am. And actually, Truly, that is all we have anyway. Yeah. You know, I could just rest into that. And that was super powerful for me. Excellent. What's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our widowers or growth warriors with today, Suzanne? Well, I think let's just stay with that. I think it's something about being with what is. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the hardest parts because it's nothing we want, but it is. And so, so there is something about cultivating the capacity to 2% at a time, I say, I always say, mm -hmm. 
to be with what is, you know, and be so kind with yourself. I, I think that was another, I'm sure you talk about this a lot, but the self-compassion piece of yeah, grace. Mm-hmm. Yes. And just sweetie, you know, this is so hard right now. You're doing great. Like really be with the quaking one inside, really be yeah. with yourself. Um, and and I, I suppose there's something about, they go together because to be with what is mm-hmm. takes time. Yeah. But if you're not in the, if you don't let the default mode be denial, you know, if you, if you know, there's a way in which that can come in and be helpful at certain points, mm-hmm. but it's not where you're going to stay. And mm-hmm. 2% at a time, you let yourself come back to the life you have, mm-hmm. you know, I have right now. Okay. Okay. And then just that kindness to the self that is, making her or his path by walking. So Suzanne, your book, You Make Your Path by Walking, A Transformational Field Guide Through Trauma and Loss. I'll provide a link in our book resources and a link to you and um, what you provide in the speaking notes. Thank you so much for talking about your story, your love story, your story of healing and growth and uh, sharing that with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Thomas. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening into our Growth Through Grief podcast. If you liked what you heard, please hit the like button. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on the latest episodes. And until next time, my growth warriors, keep growing. Bye.